turn me to James chapter 3. James chapter 3. We've been looking at the last few weeks. We, well, we weren't last week because I wasn't here. I'm not sure what we looked at last week. But uh, this week, we're going to go back to what we looked at the week before, last, and the week before that. We've been looking at this issue of life. Now, Jesus said in John 10.10, 10, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it in abundance. It also says in Deuteronomy chapter 30, God says to the children of Israel, after painting two pictures for them in Deuteronomy 28 and 29, he paints these two pictures. One is of a life over here and he puts this life together and he says, this one I'm going to call it a blessed life. This is what blessed looks like. And then over here he paints another picture and he says, we're going to call this one cursed for the sake of comparisons. This is a cursed life and this is a blessed life. And then in Deuteronomy 30, he makes this statement. He says to the children of Israel, I set before you today life and death, blessing and cursing. And then he gives them a hint as to what he wants for them. And he says to them, my thoughts are you should choose life because life is better than death and blessing is better than cursing. But he says to them, it's your choice. You have to choose it. It's not going to just happen for you just because you're following me. This was to a nation that were following God. But he said, just because you put your hand up at an altar call or just because you have decided that you are going to bow your knee at the cross doesn't automatically mean that this picture of a blessed life will happen. You still have to make choices along the way in order to see that come about in your world, in order to see that come to fruition. If you want this kind of life, God says to Israel, choose it. He's speaking, by the way, to people who are living and breathing and so on with blood flowing through their veins. So he's not talking about physical life. He's talking about a quality of life here on planet Earth. Jesus in John 10.10 did the same thing. He said, the thief comes to steal, kill, destroy, I've come that you may have life. If they didn't have physical life, it would be stupid him to say that because you don't talk to dead bodies. They can't hear you. Unless you're Smith Wigglesworth, of course, and they jump up. But they were living, breathing people that he was speaking to and he said to them, I've come to give you, living, breathing people standing in front of me, I've come to give you life. In other words, I've come to give you something that right now you don't have. Even though you're eating three meals a day, got a roof over your head, you go to work, you can talk, blood flowing through your veins, you can think, but you haven't got the kind of life that God wants you to have. It's about a quality of existence here on planet Earth. One day, we will all depart planet Earth. And none of this is going to matter to me. The houses, the cars, the holidays, the, the, the good times, the bad times, it's all going to fade into insignificance. When we think about the concept of eternity, you can, you can do yourself in, you can just do your head in thinking about how long is eternity? Anyone ever thought about that? How long is eternity? You can't really think about it because by very nature, eternity doesn't have an end. So you've got nowhere for your brain to stop. It just keeps going and going and going until you pull it back and go, I can't go there. It's just too big. In relation to eternity, this life, our presence on this earth is a drop in the bucket. It really is. Some days it, it, it feels like more than that. Some days it feels like the whole bucket's been dropped on me. But in reality, it's a drop in the bucket. But God is concerned with the quality of existence that we have here because he created the world and he said it's good. And then he created people and he put them in a beautiful, blessed place called the Garden of Eden and said, be fruitful, multiply, Prosper, fill the earth, 
subdue it. I'm going to come and walk with you and, and, and be with you and, and show my presence. In other words, you're going to have a quality of existence that I have created you for. I set the table. I made this world a beautiful place. And then I put you in the middle of this beauty so that you would have a quality of existence. But things got messed up along the way. And man thought, well, we, we don't have to do these things that, that God outlines to have this blessed life. We can just make our own blessed life. So we'll just do our own thing. Make up our own rules as we go along. And, so, and you just got to look at the world today to see the results of that. We've ruined what was a beautiful place. What still is a beautiful place, to be honest. But we've done a lot of damage to it. And we continue to do damage. You've only got to look at statistics of broken marriages, broken families, people dying of starvation around the world, all kinds of things that are going on that have direct connection to mankind and the way that we steward ourselves here on planet Earth and the way we treat each other in relationships and so on. But Jesus said, I came to give you a quality of life. So we've been looking at, well, what does that mean? What, how do you have that quality of life? Because it's not just about giving our heart to Christ. That's step one. That's what opens up the realm of possibility for us. But how many of you know as believers, we still have, we still have to make choices every day. I didn't get saved and then all of a sudden ended up in some sort of vacuum where I'm just getting sucked along making the right choices all the time. I've still got to make choices. The day after I got saved, I still woke up at 19 years of age and still had to make a choice. When my friends came to me and said, let's go out and party and do what we do, I still had to make a choice to say, you know what? I don't want to do that anymore. That's not me now. I still had to make that choice. You still have to make choices every day. Choices every day. And we've been looking at over the last few weeks what are the major areas of choice. And there are three main areas of choice that we have to grapple with every day of our existence here on planet Earth. And we looked at the first one, which was action. If you haven't, if you weren't here for those, you can go on the uh, Rise Church um, iTunes, what are they called again, Luke? Podcast. Podcast. You can go on iTunes and we've got a Rise Church and there's, the messages are there and you can have a listen. The first one we looked at was actions. Every day we make choices with our actions. And those choices will either lead us towards life or lead us towards death. Those choices will lead you towards what God calls a blessed life or they're going to lead you towards a cursed life. The choice is yours. God lays it before you. The second area where we make choices every day is in the area of our attitude. And not this Sunday past the one before we talked about that. We looked at our area of attitude. Attitudes are like camera angles. You can be looking at the same scene, but if you have a different attitude, you can change what you're seeing. And we need to keep our attitudes right. We need to try to adopt the attitude of God. We need to have godly attitudes. We need to, to stay on top of things. And one of the ways we can do that is by changing the way we see things. Some people are so negative and everything is negative. And everything, their camera angle is just skewed and they're draining and their life's sapping. And I feel sorry for them. Because as long as you look at life like that, you are not walking in the blessedness of God. It's not that God doesn't want you to, but you're missing something. Because it doesn't matter what the situation is, does the Bible not say God works all things together for the good of those that love him? Is that what it says? Either it's true. If it's not true, go home and get a black marker and just run it through that verse. Just take it out of the Bible. It's just an extra three seconds of your time when you read that chapter. Take it out if you don't believe it. I believe it. The Bible says all things work together for the good of those that love God. 
And sometimes it's just a matter of changing our perspective, changing the way we see a situation, which will change our attitude towards that situation. The circumstance may not have changed, but by changing our attitude, we can change everything about it. So we've looked at actions, we've looked at attitudes. I want to look at the third one today, the third area where we make choices every day of our life, and that's in the area of our words. We make choices in action, we make choices in attitude, and we make choices in our words, the things that we speak and the things that we say. We open there to James chapter 3. Before we read that, I just want to read a couple other verses to you. Proverbs 18, 21. It says, death and life but in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. Life and death in the power of the tongue. Do you realise how powerful your words are? Do you realise how powerful the things that you say are? The power behind those things. I think speaking is almost like breathing. We just take it for granted. Until you have a problem with your respiratory system, you don't realise how easily we take Breathing in and out for granted. As a matter of fact, it's so natural we don't even think about doing it. How many of you know there are a lot of people out there, they speak the same way. They don't even think about it. They just say the first thing that pops into their head. Some people say the most uh, outrageous things in the most wrong environment and you just sit there scratching your head going, oh my goodness, how silly. Can't you see what, what, where'd that come from? Because they speak like they breathe. They just don't think about it. But we need to think about our words because life and death are in the power of the tongue. The New Living Translation puts it this way. It says, those who love to talk will experience the consequences for the tongue can kill or nourish life. The tongue can kill or nourish life. It's true. We've all experienced it in our own life. I came across this story uh, online a few years ago and I, I was, was sitting down getting this ready and I found it and I thought I'd share it. A married couple in their early 60s were out celebrating their 35th wedding anniversary in a quiet, romantic little restaurant. Suddenly, the couple in their early 60s, suddenly a tiny yet beautiful fairy appeared on the table and said, for being such an exemplary married couple and for being faithful to each other for all this time, I will grant you each a wish. Oh, I want to travel around the world with my darling husband, said the wife. What a great story. The fairy moved her magic stick and abracadabra two tickets for the new Queen Mary, the second luxury liner appeared in the hand. He was ecstatic. Now it was the husband's turn. He thought for a moment and he said, well, this is all very romantic, but an opportunity like this only occurs once in a lifetime. So I'm sorry, my love, but my wish is to have a wife 30 years younger than me. The wife and the fairy were deeply disappointed, but a wish is a wish. So the fairy made a circle with her magic stick and abracadabra. The husband became 92 years of age. Be careful what you say. Be careful what you say. You just might get it. You just might get it. James 3. Are everyone there? All the ladies like that one. Men are sitting there going, that happens to me. James chapter 3. It says, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers knowing that we will receive a stricter judgment. Teachers deal in words. That's what they deal with. 
The point he's making here is if you're going to teach, you're in a position of authority, a position of leadership, and you have people that are learning from you, just be very wise what you teach. If you proclaim yourself to be a teacher, be very sure of what you're saying. Don't lead people up the garden path. Don't manipulate people. Don't twist the word of God. He goes on, he says, For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set amongst our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set itself on fire by hell. What a graphic picture. What a graphic picture of this tiny piece of flesh that's tucked away behind your lips, behind your teeth, in your mouth. What an amazing picture of the power that this thing has. James uses a couple of analogies there. He says it, 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 we can put bits into the, into the mouth of a horse, the bridle. Who's ever ridden a horse? They're big animals. They're big, they don't look so big. On TV, they look like Labrador puppies, you know, so meek and mild and gentle and quite. Horses are big animals. And when a horse doesn't want to do what you want it to do, it's got the muscle. It's got the power. You don't just walk up to a horse and say, sit, unless you're one of these trained horses in a circus. But the average horse, you don't just walk up to a horse and say, sit. That horse looks at you and says, make me. Make me. And James uses this analogy. He says, you can't just control a horse just because you want. We put a bit in its mouth. And this tiny little thing that you put in, you can stand there and you can push your shoulders against the horse and try to move it, it'll probably beat you. You can start throwing punches, it'll pick up a foot and kick you. You can get behind it and it'll kick you. But you put this little thing in its mouth and you can all of a sudden control this horse. Such a tiny little thing. And you can steer that horse and turn that horse. You can control the destination of that horse by controlling, by putting that bit in its mouth. He goes on and he uses the rudder of a ship. He says a ship. Even though a ship gets battered by wind, there are pressures and things that come against the ship that are trying to push it in a direction other than the way the captain wants it to go. But when you have control of that rudder, you can still turn that thing, you can still be in control of that ship and you can still get that ship to go to the place that it needs to go. You can still control the destination of that ship, even with all that wind and pressure going against it by using that small rudder. He's saying the same thing with our lives. By control, learning to control this thing, we can actually control our destiny and help us get to the place and the destination that we need to get to. Because this thing has the power to stop you from getting there. It also has the power to propel you and help you get there. Then he goes on and he talks about a forest fire. And he says, think about a small spark, how tiny a spark is, but it can create a raging bushfire. How many of you know that unlike a horse and unlike a ship, you don't control a bushfire. Throw a match into the middle of some dry grass and tell it where to go to see if it listens. No, no, I want you to burn that leaf, Farmer Jones. I want you to go this way. Whoops. It didn't do it. And he uses this analogy of a spark. 
What he's saying is this, your words that you use can get you to the place that you need to go, that God wants you to be at. Your words play a role in helping you get there. At the same time, if you just go throwing your words around, you can destroy somebody else's life, like a bushfire. You can start a spark that destroys somebody else's life. Why? Because you couldn't control this thing. Because you thought that you would just throw a few words out like a match, like a tiny spark. And before you know it, families are ruined and relationships are ruined, all because somebody said something they shouldn't have said. Because they were loose with their lips. There's an old saying, loose lips sink ships. You know where that came from? The, the, the naval days. Because when you're out there on a ship or a submarine or something, if you talked a bit loosely and gave away coordinates or whatever to the wrong person, that ship's gone. That submarine's gone. Loose lips sink ships and today loose lips still sink ships and more than that they destroy lives, they destroy churches, they destroy communities and they destroy destiny. We don't want to be a part of that. So James uses these analogies to get us to see the incredible power that our tongue has. You know it says that our tongue is so set amongst our members. Did you realise that God puts your tongue where it is? Here's the amazing thing. The tongue is such a powerful thing yet we need to acknowledge A, that God put it there God put it in the exact place where it is and B, God gave it the power that it has. God gave your tongue the place of prominence in your world and he also gave it the power that it has. God gave it to you. God gave it to you. God knows the power that your tongue has. God knows the power that your speech has. When he put a tongue in a human being, he knew that that thing can help you get to where you need to go but that thing also can start a war. Our words are powerful. Our words make a difference. Our words shape families. Our words shape ourselves. Our words shape friendships. They shape others. Politicians' words can shape a nation. A dictator's words can destroy a nation. Words are powerful. We have here a whole bunch of words passed on from God to us that have power. We need to understand the incredible power of our words. Why are words so powerful? I mean, if, if, if words can do all these things, what gives them their power? Why are they so powerful? I'll tell you why words are so powerful. Because words have creative power. Words create. Did you know that? Your words create. Words are not sound. Words are for creation. Go to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 to 3. Let's have a look at the very first ever use of words. The very first time that anybody ever spoke, what was it for? It was for the purpose of creating. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And it goes on, then God said, and God said, and God said. The very first thing that ever happened with words is that they were used to create. They were not used to communicate. Words we need to understand. Words are not just there to communicate. Words create. Words have creative power from God himself. We are created in the image of God. And in the same way that God speaks and things get created, we need to understand when we speak, we create things as well. We create things. We do. There's a spiritual dynamic to your speech. 
That's why the Bible is full of admonitions about be wise with your words. Don't throw out words. Don't cast pearl before swine. Um, uh, Jesus said that we will be judged by every idle word that we speak. It's all there in the book. The amount of times where it talks about our speech and our words, you go through and you read it, you'll be amazed how much the Bible has to say about speech. Why? Because when we speak, we create. We either use our words and the Spirit of God gets on that and we create life, or if we speak and it's not life-giving, there's still stuff going on. There's still creation being made. I can stand here and I can say to my wife, you are the most beautiful woman I've ever met. I love you. You are fantastic. You are a great... I can do, and you know what? I'll guarantee that I will create an environment around her. I will create feelings inside of her. I will create an atmosphere in my home. But I can, with the same tongue, with the same mouth, turn around and go, you are the worst I've ever seen. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. I can raise my voice, change my tone. I can destroy her, create a totally different atmosphere around her, totally different environment. What do you think that is? It's spirit. It's it's an environment. It's a spiritual reality that my words can shape and change environments. I can create life or I can create death and so can you with the words that we speak. Yet sometimes we are so flippant with our words we don't think. We talk like we breathe. It just happens. It just happens. Yet God wants us to learn to control our tongue because life and death is in the power of the tongue. It is so set amongst our members. You know, the New Age movement have realised this, haven't they? They realise that there's a lot of power in what you say. There are books in the New Age section at the, the library. There are, you know, Speak Your Destiny. Have, there are, there are uh, uh, New Age groups and movements that have realised the power of the tongue and they're out there spruiking it. And the church is having kind of this reaction to it. We're either way over here taking it to a complete and total extreme where words become magic spells. You ever know people like that where words are magic spells? Just say this and you'll have it. Just say that and you can have it. It's not quite like that. But then there's other extreme people over here who completely neglect and they throw the baby out with the bathwater and say, well, because of the extremities of it, we don't want to talk about the power of words. We can't avoid it. It's in the Bible. It's there for a reason. Whether we want to accept it. Again, if we don't believe life and death is in the power of the tongue, when you go home, get a black marker, put it through that verse, take it out of your Bible. It'll make that chapter quicker to read. But it's in there. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. The New Age movement realised self-help gurus are making billions of dollars on this stuff. Huh? Tony Robbins is running 20-day seminars, bringing in squillions. Why? Because he's taking truths and principles out of this book and going, you know what, you've got to speak with positive confession. And you know what, some of them might take it to an extreme, but where do you think they're getting this stuff from? Where does it all get traced back to? You'll find it in here. You'll find it in the Word of God, but sometimes we have this negative reaction to it because the wrong person is teaching it or the wrong person is saying it or they're taking it to an extreme which is, is beyond reality and beyond truth and yes, that's all there but the reality of the fact is our words have power. Our words not only have power, they have creative power. Your words build up or they put down. Your words can bring together or they can tear apart. Your words can heal or your words can hurt. It's the reality of the way God created it to be. Words are primarily used for creating first. 
not just communication. You know, this is one of the things that sets us apart from the rest of creation. We are in the image of God. Our words can be used to create. Animal, how many of you know animals communicate? Animals communicate with each other. When I was a kid, I used to live in a little town called Barradine out west New South Wales near Coonabarabra. Little tiny town. And we lived on 48 acres out of town. And I remember one day I captured this frill neck lizard. You know, the lizards with the big... I captured one. And I, I had an old... Uh, remember powdered milk? They still sell powdered milk? Old powdered milk. Yeah, Jackie's screwing her nose up at me here. Powdered milk tin. And there was no milk in it. And so I caught this frilly and I put him in the powdered milk tin. It was a big one. It was like a big one. I'm excusing you. It was a big one. Put the lid on, punched holes in the top so he could breathe. Lots of grass in there so he could eat. And I had to go to school. I put him on top of this fridge underneath the house. And I, I rode into school that day. And I remember when I got home, I looked down at the bottom of the fridge and there was a frill neck lizard. And I thought, oh no, I was so disappointed. My, my pet's gone out of his tin. So I reached up on the top and I grabbed the tin and I ripped open the lid and out jumped my frill neck lizard, took off across the paddock and up a tree. I don't know how it worked, but somehow they'd been communicating to each other and old Philly mate come over to save him. They did a old switcheroo on me. I fell for it and bang, let him free. Animals can communicate. Okay? But animals can't create. We are unique in that sense that we are created in the image of God. And when we speak, our words create, just like when God spoke. In Genesis, it says that the earth was without form and void. In the original Hebrew, this is what that means. It means it was a worthless thing. The earth was a worthless thing. It was empty space. It was a wasteland. It was a place of chaos. This is the Hebrew translation, formless and void. It was an indistinguishable ruin. Let me ask you a question. As you think about your life right now, does that explain any areas of your world? Maybe it's relationships. Maybe it's the way you see yourself. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's just your whole being. Do you just feel like your whole life is a waste? Do you feel like your life is an undescribable ruin? Do you feel like it's chaos, madness? Do you feel like it's empty? Then maybe the starting point is to change the way you feel. Maybe. Maybe you can change your speech. Work for God. When God was confronted with a chaotic mess, the first thing he did was he spoke. He spoke changing. How many of us, when we get in those situations in life, continue to speak the chaos into our world? We continue to speak the negativity over ourselves. Instead of getting ourselves out of the pit, we put ourselves further and further in. We're so loose with our work. Now, I, 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 I hear this all the time from people. How are you going? Oh, I'm depressed. I want to shake them. Go, no. Has a doctor clinically prescribed you as that and told you? Is that otherwise, no, you're flat. Maybe you're just having a bad day. But every time I see you, you want to say, I'm depressed. I'm depressed. I'm depressed. I'm depressed. I'm depressed. What do you think happens after a while? How's this? How's that? 
not hopeless, useless, worthless, and we keep reinforcing these things. We keep speaking over our own life these negative states. We keep speaking defeat over ourselves. We keep speaking loss. We keep speaking all this stuff over our world. Let me tell you, Romans 10.17 says this. It says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. This is the principle behind it all. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now what that verse is talking about is he's writing about salvation faith. When we hear the word of God and we understand the cross, it creates faith in us to go, yes, I'll accept Jesus. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So when we hear the word of God, we build faith in that. You've got to hear it first, right? In order to hear it, what? It's got to be spoken. So it all starts with speech. It all starts with words. And when we hear the word of God, it builds faith in us and we begin to believe that stuff and we begin to speak that stuff, we begin to walk that stuff. But let me tell you something. Faith comes by hearing, period. Faith comes by hearing, period. Faith in God comes by hearing God and his word. Faith in anything else comes from anything else and hearing any other perspective. How many of us, when we were growing up, were told constantly as kids, you'll never amount to nothing. You'll always be a loser. You'll never be any good at football. You'll never be successful. You know, when I was a young kid, and by the way, I I honour my mother and father, I respect them, I love them, but my past is my past, it's the reality. And so, I don't mean this disrespectfully, but when I was old enough, my father introduced me to this phrase. It's called the Kirchen Curse. And these are the exact words he would use. He would call it the Kirchen Curse. Anytime something would go wrong in my life or his life, he would just say, oh, don't worry about it, Alan, it's just the Kirchen Curse. And it was really just a way of saying, bad things happen to us all the time, just accept it. It's your lot in life. It's not a lot, but it's a lot. Just cop it on the chin. Don't try to reach higher because you'll never get up there because we curtains are down here. Don't try to be successful. None of us are successful. Just settle for what you've got. Stop fighting to try to be something else or go somewhere else. Just sit back and accept what you've got, which is nothing. This is what he was saying to me every time he would say the curtain. But you know what? Without realising it, as I grew up, I began to unconsciously get put faith in that. And so I would stop trying to better myself. You would stop trying to break free of things. You would stop trying to take opportunity. Yeah, an opportunity would come and the instant thought would be, oh, no, I'll never be able to do that. I could never achieve that. I'll never be able to succeed at that. So why even try? So without even realising it, these words begin to permeate inside my spirit and I start to put faith in them. Because I heard them enough, I started to believe them. And then you start speaking that way. Oh, no, I don't want to do that. No, I couldn't do that. I, won't, I wouldn't be able to do that. I wouldn't be smart enough to achieve that. I'm not, you know. And it creates an atmosphere, a spiritual dynamic around your life. Faith came by hearing, but it wasn't the word of God. It came from hearing other things. We've all probably got stories along those lines as we grew up, different things that we heard, different things that were spoken over our life that were said to us. They had power. There's no point denying. You know, we say that old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but but names will never hurt me. What a load of rubbish. I'd rather you hit me with a stick. Because guess what? That'll heal up. But I can tell you, the words you speak over me have spirit power. The words you say 
have lasting impact. And a lot of us don't realise the impact of those things because you don't see a bruise on your face or a lump on your head or you don't get up and start walking and realise there's pain in my knee. We don't even know. It's so subtle, but it clings to us. Hits you inside. Does damage. All of a sudden, one day you get older and you, you, you go to get into a relationship with somebody and you find yourself reacting weird, unable to receive their compliments, pushing them away. Why? Because words were spoken over you many, many years ago. You heard them, you developed faith in them because those words had power. And now, guess what? They're shaping your world. They're shaping your destiny. You were told you weren't smart. You were told you were dumb. We've all got things that have happened, some intentionally, some not intentionally, but it doesn't matter. Even if you don't intentionally mean what you're saying, words can have power. They carry spirit power. They carry creative power. in Colossians 3.16 let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing with grace in your heart let the word of Christ dwell richly in you why? so that that word is what you are admonishing and encouraging other people with so I'm speaking over you what God says about you not what the world says about you not what other people might say about you the word of God says you're a winner the Word of God says you're the head and not the tail. The Word of God says you can be set free. The Word of God says that you're a champion. This is what the Word of God says about you. The Word of God says that you are worthy. The Word of God says that you are saved by grace, not your own work. The Word of God says that nothing you have done is unforgivable. The Word of God says this. The Word of God says you have value. If God gave his only son to win you back, I don't know anything on planet Earth of greater value than that. So what can somebody give for you that gives you more value than the blood of Jesus? There's nothing out there. We need to have the word of God dwelling richly in us so that we're speaking it, so that we're hearing it, so we're building faith in what the word of God says. If we want to break out of that chaotic wasteland mess, all that stuff, Pick an area of your world, get into the Word of God, find out what God says about you in that area. What does God say? Not what do people say, not what even do you think. Because if we don't think in line with this, we need to transform our mind. Renew your mind by the washing of the Word, the Bible says. Get in line with what God says about you because you're awesome. And the future that God has for you is fantastic. It's great. It's good. It's the future to, to, to bless you, to prosper you, not to harm you, not to hurt you. It's a good future. It's a great future. But you've got to make choices along the way in order to get there. And the power of heaven will push you along so long as you make the right choices in the areas of your actions, your attitudes and words. You do those three things and you do them in line with God. The Spirit of God will propel you into the future that he has for you. He will push you into a place that he calls blessed. But if we don't, we end up in another place and it's not God's fault. And it's not a reflection of who God is or a reflection of God's heart. God wants what is best for us. Matthew 12, 36 says this, But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. That's a heavy call. 
That's a heavy call. Yet Jesus said that. Jesus said that. I say to you that for every idle word, that word idle means at leisure or lazy. It doesn't mean that it has no power. When we think idle words, we say oh, it's just an idle word. Just idle. All idle means is that, that it, it, it's not maybe said with intent. But it's not the intention that gives it the power. Once you speak down, I can just say to you as a joke, oh, you're an idiot, as a joke, as a passing comment. But you know what? That word still has power. I'm not saying that we've got to all, you know, be all paranoid about everything we say. But I am saying be very aware of the soil into which you're saying it. And be aware that my words have creative and spiritual power behind them. What am I unleashing in the center of it? So we're, we're a country of knockers, aren't we? We're a country of knockers. Kids come home from school and they want to whinge and complain about their teacher. That's all they do. Kids come home from work, they want to whinge and complain about their boss. Adults do the same thing. We want to whinge and complain about our work. Whenever there's a, 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 an election, we want to whinge and complain about both parties. Doesn't matter who gets in there. We're speaking all this stuff down. We're just throwing it out there and not realising the power that it has. I say to you, every idle word men speak, they'll give an account of them bad judgment. It doesn't seem fair to me. I, I don't know why, why. Why doesn't God judge me on my cooking? I mean, that would make more sense because I feel like my cooking probably hurts more people on planet Earth than my words do. There's more reason for pain, you know, when you've got to sit at a table and I've cooked a meal. But he doesn't. He says my words. Now, why doesn't, he, why doesn't he say my dancing? I'll give an account for my dancing. I reckon that's probably destroyed a few people's memories as well. Why not my choice of music? I should give an account for my choice of music. I listen to Slim Dusty, Johnny Cash. I love country music. I'm unashamed in that. I hate modern hip-hop stuff. Why don't I give an account for my choice of music? I mean, that has an impact on people. My kids have got to sit through trips of miles of Slim Dusty, except for Jordan. He loves Slim Dusty. He's into it. You know what my kids do now when we get in the car? It's just automatic. Bring your iPad and put it in. Don't even wait to hear what he's going to play. Why don't I give an account for that? What about my choice of hairstyle? What about the deodorant I wear? Why, why do I not give an account for my hygiene? My fashion sense. Why am I not giving an account for all this? Why is Jesus saying, but you'll give an account for your words? Because none of those things have creative power. But my speech does. My words have power. And I've got to be smart with it. Christy, do you want to come back up first? We'll finish up with this. So what do we do? What do we do in the area of words? Because we don't want to get paranoid. We don't want to go to an extreme. There's nothing worse than being around somebody who's like a word police. Have you been around the word police? Yeah? So they're so far afield with the spiritual side of it. We used to have these, these friends of ours in, uh, in Brisbane and we were getting to know them. They had young kids and we thought, oh, you know, it's hard. We're in that funny age bracket where it's always been difficult in church to find people around our age with kids. We've always struggled with that, you know. And we, we, we met this couple in Brisbane and we thought, yes, we've, we've, we've got some friends and we started spending some time with them and then we were at their house one day and the wife says to her husband oh I'm, I'm, I'm just getting tired of this it was just a statement throw away line now I understand what he was saying 
but he jumped on it. Don't speak that over yourself, you sick and tired of it. I could cop that once, maybe just saying to her, just, you know, be wise with what you say. But every time she'd open her mouth, he was jumping on us. Oh, don't say that. Don't say that. Don't. And I realised, well, you're actually carrying it. You're, you're somewhere in this big scheme of things, you're actually gone way over to the far extreme. And then what really tipped it for me was I was talking to him one day about a mate of mine in India who was um, praying for a woman that was possessed by a demon. And cut a long story short, this demon didn't want to go. This demon looked him in the eye and, and challenged him back. And in the end, the demon had to leave. But when I was sharing the story with him, he, I said to him, yeah, 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 he told this demon to go in the name of Jesus come out. And he goes to me, oh, yeah, that's right. I said, what? He said, he didn't say in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. You have to say of Nazareth. You know, if you don't say of Nazareth. Like, and that was the last conversation I had with the guy. I said, I can't do this. That's the game. So we don't want to become the word police. We don't want to go out there and start jumping on everybody's work. Here's a better way to look at it. I've got a computer program at work that orders for us. I work at Dan Murphy's. And this computer program is called Autostop. And what it does is at the start of a week, I punch in figures and say, this week, based on sales history, I think I'm going to need 50 cartons of this. And so it does the math. And it works out how it's going to give that to me over a seven-day period. Sends me maybe 30 on, on Friday, get me through the weekend, then maybe 10 here and five towards the end of the week and so on. What I need to do is every day I need to get on that program and I need to look, re-look at my figures and readjust my figures. Because if I don't, it's only going to give me what I tell it to. It's only going to give me exactly what I tell it to give me. So if I say I want 50, but let's say there's been a storm and it's been a slow week or something and I get towards the, 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 the end of the week there and I haven't got on and I haven't told it, no, no, I don't need 50. Now, I'm only actually going to sell 20. Guess what? It's going to give me 50. Why? Because that's what I told it. So I need to get on that program every day, re-look at the figures and either bring my numbers down or I might say I only want five of this and it goes gangbusters and I could have sold 50. But if I don't get on there and say I need more, it's only going to send me five. It doesn't matter what, who's buying what, what figures are happening, what money's going through the till. It's only going to give me what I tell it to give me. But I need to every day get on and adjust what I'm giving it. And I think our life is a little bit like that too. We just need to daily keep check of the words that we're saying. Have a think about what it is that you're speaking over yourself. Have a think about what you're speaking over your children. Have a think about what you're speaking over your, your spouse. Have a think about what you're speaking over your finances. What you're speaking. Is it lining up with this? If it's not, then just daily do the adjustment. Otherwise, you get to the end of the week and you look back and you're getting exactly what you told yourself you were going to get. You know, neuro, neuro uh, uh, science and so on, there are hundreds and hundreds of books and journals out there now. They have realised the connection between your brain and what you say. It's science. It's not just something... I mean, Jesus and the prophets spoke about it thousands of years ago, but medical science are now realising, you know what, it's actually true. They've done research and study. And when people say things enough, it sends, goes in the ear, goes into the brain, and the brain gets a message saying, your left knee is sore. Oh, see, my left knee hurts me, my left knee hurts. And it sends a message to your brain, and your brain sends a message to the left knee and says, you are hurting, act that way. That's how it works. It's all in your head, Rob. But you know what? It's true. It's actually true. 
It's medically proven that this is how our body works. When we keep saying, I'm sick and tired, 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 I'm depressed, I'm depressed, I'm depressed, I'm depressed. And it's not about denying reality. It's not about denying reality. You know what my prayer life is like? My prayer life is like this. God, today sucks. I hated it. I had a terrible time. This happened, that, 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 that. But, God, you are in control. Lord, you are on the throne. God, I am still the head, not the tail. Doesn't matter how I feel, I'm still there. God, you say this. And so it's not about denying the reality of who you are and what you are. But it's about being smart with your words. Because your words have creative power. Create good things in your life by speaking good things, by hearing good things, by allowing good things to happen. Does that make sense? If we get our actions right and we make a choice to do it, if we get our attitudes right, look at things the way it's supposed to look at them. If we get our words right, speak the right things. Be a contributor to the world, not a consumer. Be a contributor to the kingdom of God, not a consumer. Be a contributor to the church. I'm not just talking about here, I'm talking about globally. Contribute. Don't just be a consumer to the church. If we do those things, the promise of God is that He'll send His Spirit to get behind us and to push us into all that He has for us. Because He has good plans and He has a good plan. Amen. You believe that? Yep. Well, let's, let's believe that. Father, we just want to thank you again today, God, that you are a good God, that, Father, you have great things in store for us. Father, you have plans and purposes beyond our wildest imagination. Your word even tells us that, that God, that, that, Father, eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard the great things that you have planned for us. God, that's an amazing picture. That's an amazing statement, yet it's so true. Father, help us to believe it. God, help us to believe it, not just hear it in our head and nod and go, yes, but to believe it in our heart, Father. And Lord, just help us in our actions, in our attitudes, in our words, God, to line them up with the Word of God, to line them up with who you are. And have full faith and expectation that as we do that, you will get behind us by the power of the Holy Spirit and you will push us forward, God. And we can make this world a better place. We can make the church uh, a more powerful church, God. We can, we can make our families better families. We can make our personal lives better lives. We thank you for that awesome responsibility. And we thank you for the power to do it, God, in Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. Amen. God bless. We're going to hang around up the front here. If anyone would like prayer this morning for anything, we would love to, to pray with you. Otherwise, please, there's some morning tea coming up the back. Say good day to somebody you haven't said good day to before. Meet somebody new. Encourage somebody today. Use your word wisely. Have a great week. And we'll see you all next Sunday. Thank you.